question the important issues of today and try to find a sort of spiritual connection? Welcome to Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman as your host. Religion deals with the most fundamental issues humans face. There are arguments for and against the existence of God, where religion belongs in everyday life and a number of questions left unanswered. This is where it all gets discovered. Now, here is Father John Holloman. Good day to all of you who are listening out there. Welcome to the show. Uh, Before I get started, I'd like to simply say that there's a recently published book by Dr. Edward Sri, spelled S-R-I, dealing with with, with the topic for today. And I'm very much indebted to him for what I think is an excellent um, covering of the subject. The subject for today is Relativism and Truth. Now, relativism might be defined informally as the idea that there is no ultimate moral truth to be had. What seems like truth to me may not be truth to you. There is at best a hierarchy of truths, some of which are more generally acceptable to more people rather than others. Behavior that is considered moral by one group of people may not be accepted by other groups. Now, right off the bat, we encounter a logical difficulty with this. By asserting that there is no ultimate truth, relativism contradicts itself because if that is true, relativism cannot be considered to be what it claims to be by inference, namely, universally true. However, human beings are not known to be deterred by logic. Even so, this fact gives us some intimation that relativism may be problematic. True, it is widely accepted by many at a practical level in our Western society, especially in this country. By nature, it is not a well-thought-out position since it admits that there are other groups, possibly larger than that of the relativists, who would see otherwise. It is my hope to explore in some depth what is really going on here. By definition, relativism presents itself as something of a brain teaser. For the relativist, making a judgment about someone else's moral beliefs constitutes intolerance, since each person decides for himself or herself what is truth and what is right or wrong. Since Christians hold what might be called a traditionalist moral convictions, they do not fit into this relativist worldview and should be ostracized. There's a contradiction here, too, since everyone is supposed to be entitled to their own opinion. Relativists cannot tolerate anyone who is not a relativist. This leads to the counterclaim that they are trying to impose their own version of a totalitarianism which seeks to push the Christian belief in truth out of the mainstream. Since morality is ultimately a matter of personal opinion, it is wrong to make judgments about the moral practices of other people unless they directly harm you. This leads to yet another problem. Who is to decide what constitutes harm? What harms you might be and vice versa. Christian Smith, in his book, Lost in Transition, The Dark Side of Emerging Adulthood, makes this point. 
These emerging adults have not taught how well how to differentiate between strong moral and religious claims that should be tolerated, if not respected, and those that deserve to be refuted, rejected, and opposed. In other words, how do we talk about morality in an age that no longer believes in moral truth? For many relatives, relativists, however, these inconsistencies are not determinative. Relativism just feels right. We shouldn't tell other people how to live. We shouldn't impose our moral standards on other people. Now, judging other people is bad. The best way of dealing with this mentality is to understand the classical view of morality, which goes back all the way to thinkers like Plato and Aristotle. It contains an inner coherence that makes sense. Above all, it does not view morality as being about rules, hoops that we have to jump through to be considered good. Let's look at death. How do we want to be remembered? Do we want to be remembered for our money or fame or career, or power, or popularity? Not really. Eulogies at funerals usually try to emphasize noble qualities such as caring, honest, kind, generous, courageous, honest. In short, as someone who made a difference in other people's lives. Having fulfilling relationships is what life is all about. Modern views of ethics tend not to be very personal or something touching on our daily actions, but topics to be debated in the public square. The classical view of ethics is played out not in the world of public policy or theory, but inside each person's heart, moment to moment. It has to do with character where a person's life is heading, and what kind of person is, we are becoming. Because it's just as important, not only what we do or fail to do, but what are we becoming in the doing of it, or in the omission of it. Um, if a person is a good liar and gets away with it, their whole life can become a lie. They, they lie even when there is no reason to. And then they wonder why no one believes anything they say. I've known people like that. Ethics is not simply a question of what, what should I do in this situation, but of who. Who do I want to become? We can have all we desire, but if we do not have anyone to share it with, we will not be happy. For the Christian, we are made in the image and likeness of God, who is love, as St. John's Gospel points out definitively. To be in his image and likeness means living together in a life of relationship and of self-giving love. But this leads us to another dimension. We cannot live that way by willing it, but by having certain qualities known as virtues enable us to live our relationships with God and others well. Qualities such as honesty, generosity, courage, self-control, humility and love make good friendships possible. Our individual choices belong in the larger context of our life story, 
not in isolated random acts that have no meaning. Will this deed help me to be a better friend or a spouse or person? So our individual choices really do matter. Social harmony is built on the inner harmony of individuals. Avoiding hurting others is not enough. There's a movie entitled, uh, an old English movie entitled, What's It All About, Alfie, starring Michael Caine. In this film, he's one of these uh, people who feels that it's all right to do something as long as it doesn't hurt you. And so he becomes involved um, intimately with a married woman who's older than he is. And the next thing they know, she's pregnant. And she's scared to death that her husband will find out what's been going on. So Michael Caine, his character, Alfie, arranges, this was in the days when um, abortion was illegal, he arranges for an abortion by one of these um, backdoor abortionists. And he does his procedure and, just, and then leaves. Well, she develops complications and becomes quite ill. And the question is now, um, her husband is definitely going to find out. And what uh, Alvy thought was harmless suddenly becomes uh, very real. And uh, he realizes that he has um, unjustly treated this lady. If we do not play the game of life with excellence, others will suffer consequences. Tolerance is not enough. Human beings require love. Anything hurting others is merely the first step. It is not the end goal, nor does it bring us happiness. The virtues are not good qualities that make us nice. Rather, they make us reliable, dependable, trustworthy friends. They help us to love others. Indeed, they give us the freedom to love. And without them, we are incapable of loving others the way God does. Love us. How can we grow in virtue? There are three ways. One is to learn more about the virtuous life by reading such resources as the Catechism of the Catholic Church and especially the lives of the saints where we see the virtues put into practice. Growing into virtue does not happen by chance. It takes effort over the course of a lifetime, which means we have to value the virtues or we will not make that perseverance. Thirdly, pray for God's grace. We cannot do it on our own. We need his help, the help of fellow believers, the help of the uh, sacraments which God has given us to heal us spiritually. Finally, all too often freedom today is construed as freedom from any external restraints, such as a person, group, or law. It puts the self at the center 
and disregards responsibilities to others. Protecting free choice is what matters most. And people who are pro-abortion often cite the right to free choice. In the classical understanding, freedom is the ability to perform certain actions. And that requires certain skills, which we call the virtues. Having a violin does not mean you can play it without the skills to do so. Relativism has been called a dictatorship because the individual is enslaved to their own selfishness, unable to make sacrifices for others. In contrast, the virtuous are free to love. Only in relationships of sustained commitment can we find happiness. Our lives are profoundly enriched when we discover the way God has made us, namely for self-giving love. Morality is a quest for happiness. It is not an arbitrary set of rules that we obey to pacify an angry deity, but an expression of God's love for us. He wants us to be happy, and he knows us better than we do ourselves, since he created us. God's laws can be viewed as arbitrary power trips only by separating them from God's love for us. This separation enables us to see them as obstacles to what we want to do. It is no wonder then that the relatives see the Christian moral tradition as an obstacle to discovering ourselves by ourselves. The so-called enlightenment has encouraged us to become independent thinkers, free of all restrictions, including the classical tradition of ethics. This is like learning to play the piano without a teacher or reference books to guide us. It doesn't get us very far. A great tradition of virtues and the goal and purpose of life is viewed as being restrictive or harmful. Our schooling teaches us how to handle all kinds of technical problems, but not the art of living. How we live our life does have an impact on others for good or ill because it is inherently self-centered, relativism does wound people. When we deny any moral truth, when there is no moral standard to guide us, we're going to do what we want regardless of how it affects other people. Fortunately, many who consider themselves relativists are not consistent or thoroughgoing enough to carry it out to its logical conclusion. They have enough common sense to realize that there are some boundaries to behavior, such as murder, that really shouldn't be crossed. I had a student once, we were discussing a new biological procedure that uh, tested, being, being um, tested out. And we were debating whether or not um, we should do this. And this student, I don't even remember what the procedure was, but this student said, um, yes, if we can do it, we should do it. I said, well, we can, I can kill you. Does that mean I should? He said, oh, I never thought of it that way. Um, 
Unfortunately, even that boundary seems to be dissolving nowadays. The disregard for life is, there's abundant evidence for it, not just in theoretical arguments, but in all the mass shootings uh, that have been going on and the um, attacks by terrorists. Slowly but surely, we seem to be drifting back into the mentality prevalent in the ancient Roman Empire. To wit, life is short. That day and time, life expectancy was about 30 years. You were considered middle-aged at 15, which would explain why people got married so early. Life is not only short, it's brutal. Many uh, parents in the Roman Empire uh, considered it a good tool of parenting to um, physically punish their children even when they hadn't done anything bad. The object was to, to, to prepare them for a life that is brutal um, so that they don't expect life to be fair um, and they're not um, paralyzed by um, brutal behavior. And so it was regarded a, a, a teaching tool. It's no wonder that so many uh, of the Roman soldiers were themselves brutal people. But also life was cheap. And that is perhaps best symbolized by the, the games in the various arenas around the empire. We think of the Colosseum, but it was merely the granddaddy of all arenas. Any town of any size or financial wherewithal had its own arena in which the gladiators could fight each other or with wild animals or um, undesirable elements of the population uh, could be uh, fed to the lions or um, many of them were just simply burned at the stake um, or sent in to fight against the gladiator. And indeed the word arena is a Latin word meaning sand because after each episode of bloodletting, someone would go around and spread sand to soak up all the blood for the next event. So like an ice hockey rink where the Zamboni goes around and cleans up the ice. <clears throat> um, and gladiators who displayed bravery but ended up um, being on the losing end of the, the, the combat. Uh, the person who has them down looks up to the crowd to see if it's going to be a thumbs up or a thumbs down. If the gladiator who is uh, prostrate um, had fought bravely, then usually they gave him a thumbs up 
he was worth keeping. But if he had just demonstrated cowardice in the course of the fight, it was thumbs down. And he was literally a blood sport that people enjoyed. There was one Roman philosopher who stayed away from the games because he considered them barbaric. But some friends of his invited him, insisted that he come, they come with him to the uh, latest round of games. And he finally got tired of being harassed by them. He went with them. And he began by not even looking at what was going on in the arena. But little by little, he got caught up in it. And before the, the day was out, he was cheering the people on just as much as his friends were, had been doing. And this goes to show how uh, mere goodwill is subject to, um, in the face of uh, brutality, um, there's something about us that, well, at first it may be horrifying, we, we, it grows on us. And we could get to the point where um, we're the same with everyone else. Well, at that point, I think it's time to take a break and be back in a bit. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Who are you, really? Are you the person you want to be, or are you the person that others want you to be? Think about that. We don't always recognize our gifts and potential because we stick to old methods of being and do what others in our lives tell us. It's time to break through. Listen for Rediscovering the Magic of Being with Marja. Each program connects you back to whom you were meant to be every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. 
To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Hello again. Um, apparently, I went over time, so we, our time is going to be a little bit more restricted this time till the next break. Um, if you have any questions, I would be happy to hear them. I hope that um, I didn't go too fast for these points to be come across. Um, I think the reason why the early Christians were so enthusiastic about their new faith was because they saw a way out of this um, threefold view of life that is it's short, it's brutal, um, and cheap. They saw something that appealed to them that human beings are worth being uh, treated with dignity, uh, which doesn't doesn't come automatically to most human beings, especially if they grow up in very um, hostile environments. Um, and through the incarnation, God has shown us that it doesn't have to be that way. Certainly the people who crucified Christ were in that mindset, mentality, that um, if someone is inconvenient, you can get rid of them. But the inherent dignity of the human being comes to us because God um, sent his only son to show us that it doesn't have to be that way. There is something better, something that speaks to our deepest longings, something that um, makes real love possible. Now, I don't want people to confuse love with emotional feelings. Um, Jesus made it clear he could love people who were um, making his life miserable. The very people who put him on the cross. He, instead of railing at them or denouncing them or cursing them, he quite simply said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I think that's something that we need to be appreciate more again. We've come full circle, I think, um, back to where we were 
before the incarnation. And, and that's sad. Um, humanitarian feelings are good, but they're not enough to carry us through to um, doing something that the early Christians were urged to do, namely, um, in the face of uh, someone doing harm to you, whether it be verbally or otherwise, um, do not react the way fallen human nature is prone to do, which is strike back, tit for tat, but um, do something good for the person who is um, mistreating you. Now that is not something that comes to us naturally. We feel that we have to defend ourselves, that we have to uh, stand up for ourselves. Um, that there's something weak about us if we don't. But I think the way our Lord handled his own passion shows that um, he was anything but a rubber mat. He stood up to them without having to say a word. Um, he's strangely silent all the way through the passion except for a few times when he does speak. I think that's because he was not going to retaliate. Um, love respects the other person too much to imitate that kind of behavior. And this was a revelation to the people of that time. We've gotten so used to it now that we see it as being old-fashioned or something. But um, what we see to be with it is exactly what our Lord was trying to save us from, which is mainly ourselves. Um, I don't think it's a stereotype to say we are our own worst enemies, because we are. And what the virtues do is help us to not be a prisoner of the tit-for-tat mentality, to be something above it and much better than that. In a world that has so much um, trauma going on, it's hard to be optimistic. But the kind of optimism that Christ brings us is much deeper than all that. That, uh, as the martyrs show us, it's possible in the face of uh, gross inhumanity to man um, to be more Christ-like. And it's interesting how uh, many of the original missionaries to 
the new world, um, were often met with hostility. We were tortured before death. You see that in the um, um, the French Jesuits who went to the the Indians in North America before there was a country. Um, but interestingly enough, those tribes, within a very short period of time, became Christian. I think it's because they saw something in the martyrs, the way they met death, it shows that they were on to something very special and didn't have to um, be uh, tied to fatalism in the face of overwhelming um, bestiality. Um, Canadian Jesuit Bernard Lonergan once wrote that man is an animal for whom mere animality is indecent. And I think it's when we see so much of it, human beings acting like animals in the sense of tooth and claw, um, that it takes something from us. Many of the people who came back from World War II never wanted to talk about it, most of them, because they had undergone something so horrific. They had seen things they never should wanted to see, things that um, contradicted everything they had been led to believe was, was decent and honorable in life. Um, nowadays, we call it uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, that witnessing the horrors of war does do something to us, and it's not good. And for some of us, it means um, joining in and becoming a part of the horror. And for others, it's just a, a riddle that they don't know what to do with. But it does make a difference in their life after war for those who survive it. Um, and I know people who fought in Vietnam are still having difficulties dealing with some of those issues. It's not something that just goes away with time. Um, they were able to interview some of the veterans of World War II for television only after many, many years of their being away from the vividness of what they experienced that they were able to talk about it. And um, they brought out things that they never had said to their own families um, because they felt it was something that had to be expunged from their life. 
Um, so, exercising the virtues of honesty, trustworthiness, courage. Courage isn't just a matter of um, in the face of imminent death. There are many other ways in which we're challenged to be courageous. Um, it, it might be a threat to our career if we became a whistleblower. If we knew too much about the firm we were working for. It takes courage to do something like that. Um, and one has to be prepared for a backlash. But what we call the virtues um, things that help us to make life worth living. They help us to become better people and therefore make life worth living for others that they might not have glimpsed or seen at all. Um, another thing about relativism, I think it... Uh, quite often masks uh, it's a rationalization for doing what we want to do even though it's against classical norms it gives us the excuse um, to put the blame on the norms rather than seeing uh, having to deny ourselves something and that's why it's important when we try to deny ourselves something, such as during Lent. Um, that's not just an exercise in um, uh, trying to get on God's good side. Uh, it's something that helps, helps us to um, realize that we are not the center of the universe. And that we're not going to be happy, we're not going to be satisfied until we learn to uh, um, recognize the dignity of others, even when they disagree with us, even when they are obnoxious. I know I've um, volunteered to be on a, a food line for Thanksgiving where all of the um, those who didn't have families or were living on the streets the poor in other words could come to get a good meal for at least for Thanksgiving Day and this person had had a, um, a mother for a nurse she was, she was a nurse and she had grilled and drilled into him um, it was uh, to be very conscious of um, germs and uh, keeping your hands washed and all that sort of thing. It was rather deeply driven into him uh, to be clean and neat. And one old uh, scruffy-looking guy 
um, came up and they were, uh, he filled his plate with the food and he said um, to the server, um, thank you for being here. And he reached out to shake his hand and he was happy to shake his hand. But then the next person came along and as he was serving the food, some of it got onto his hand. And so he reached down and licked it off and suddenly realized to his horror that was the hand that that dirty old vagrant had just touched. But then something came over him and for the first time he realized that he used to say afterwards, I fed Jesus today. Because he saw in him something that was not readily visible. Um, the courtesy of thanking someone and shaking their hand, even though you um, do not seem to be um, very clean yourself, that there is something about us that defies the uh, routine of life. There's something really important. Well, we've time for another break, and I'll see you shortly. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. The White House Doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to transform your life. Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are 
tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Hello again. Um, I'm going to talk about something that why I think it's important for us to have, uh, obviously I'm in favor of the Christian faith, but um, the different faiths all have parameters for giving life meaning, making something meaningful out of it, which relativism does not do. It means just getting what we want. But um, the importance of what we do is perhaps more important than what we say. Um, Francis of Assisi most people are familiar with, once said, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. I have been blessed to know some people over the course of my lifetime and I've been around a while. Um, There was a quality about them I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew it was something, something very important, something very valuable, something that I needed, and something that I did not have. And I met one such lady in Zurich, Switzerland. Her name was Sister Ruth Erika Müller. And as they use the word sister, they, they call themselves that, but they were um, uh, Swiss Reform Protestants. And they call themselves deaconesses. And they made their own clothing. Um, she used to, we corresponded for 50 years. I met her less than one day. She showed me around Zurich and uh, all of the points of Zwingli, Zwingli, that was Zwingli's home base. He was one of the reformers along with Martin Luther and Calvin and all that. Um, in fact, Zwingli was killed uh, fighting Catholic troops. But by the end of that day, I had to get on a, catch a train out. Um, she had made such a deep impression on me without having to, for example, she was so familiar with scripture that she could speak and paraphrase the scripture in a completely non-offensive way. It was just natural. Um, she wasn't doing it to convert you anything. And for three weeks I kept, uh, I was attracted to this and um, holiness always attracts. 
and it never repels. And it finally dawned on me, these were the days when I was, so recall myself a thoroughgoing agnostic, by which I meant I could not bring myself to have enough faith to deny the existence of God any more than I could affirm the existence of God. They both require an act of faith, which I was not prepared to make. But what it finally figured out, what she had that I needed, um, was a, a, a deep kind of joy um, that permeated everything she said and did. And that was the beginning of my beginning to take Christianity seriously again. When I saw what it can be like, not often the way we see it, experience it in our lives, but we need people like that to make us start asking questions. And it was it was a very uh, um, deep joy, which um, is so genuine. You can't help but miss it. You can't help but um, account for it. And she preached to me in ways that, without using words. Um, she was an exuberant person, but it wasn't just a matter of personality. Except something that went different. They were deeper than that. Um, and um, joy and happiness are different things. Um, happiness is getting something we want. Uh, getting an A on a test, winning a lottery, uh, getting um, appreciation from people so that... Um, Happiness depends upon external circumstances. Joy is something that, that cuts through all that. And we can be that way even in the midst of um, um, terrible things. And that's perhaps when we best um, witness to what joy is all about. It's not dependent upon external circumstances. Well, I think time is up for today. I hope you've all um, gotten something out of it. And um, you can always call in a question or send an email. Thank you for tuning in to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Please join Father John Holloman again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you have a very good week.